Well, that was a cheery reading this morning, huh? Who picks those? We'll go, we'll go somewhere hopeful, though, I think, this morning. So uh, it probably doesn't come as much of a surprise, but I have never been someone who's been shy about sharing my opinions. Now, as I've gotten older, I've learned at least some restraint. How much restraint probably depends on who you ask. Uh, but I, I try to reserve my most blunt observations uh, only for when they're asked for and when I'm sure that the person who asked for the observation is really ready to hear it. Because little known fact, just because someone wants your honesty doesn't mean they're prepared for it, right? But I wasn't always aware of the need to show some restraint. As a young person, particularly in high school, I tried to be respectful of the adults in my life, but I was also not afraid of sharing my opinions. And sharing my opinions sometimes bluntly and honestly, and a few times a little too bluntly and too honestly. My senior year of high school, I, I was part of our school's newspaper, and I had joined it as a sophomore. And at the time when I joined, the, the teacher was a guy named Mr. Blakely, and, and I did not like Mr. Blakely, but I liked the impact that Mr. Blakely had because he was hard-nosed, he demanded the best of us, uh, he, he really, really was a, a tough teacher, and, and, and most, but mostly fair, and he wasn't afraid either to be blunt and honest in his assessment of the work that we were producing. And as a result, our newspaper had won awards every year for several years prior, and both of my first two years being a part of it. And so I took a lot of pride in that accomplishment. You know, it's, it, when, when someone's in high school, they, they often will find a niche that, that, you know, they're very proud of, and they get a lot of sense of accomplishment from, and that was a source of pride for me. But then my senior year, Mr. Blakely left that position, and another teacher took over. And this teacher was one who didn't demand excellence in the way that Mr. Blakely did, didn't challenge us or, or hold us to a higher standard. And as much as I wanted them to do that, they, they just didn't. And, and my frustration throughout the year grew as I watched the quality of, of our work product uh, drop. And then when it was time for awards to come out, we didn't win a single one. And it was the first time in probably 10 or 15 years that our school had not won that. And I was frustrated. And so one day there were a couple of us that, that stayed after and the teacher had stayed after school. And, and, and we got to talking. Uh, and I don't quite know what set me off. But all of a sudden, I'm, I'm finding myself expressing my frustration and disappointment at, at their lack of leadership, their lack of investment in us, their lack of demand for excellence, um, honestly and bluntly, uh, maybe a little too honest and too blunt. I, I think it would be fair to say that I kind of went off on that teacher uh, and and I, I said some not nice things. I stormed out of the school and, and, and drove home. And, and I'll be honest, it was not my finest moment. When I came back to school the next day, uh, I, I, I wasn't really ashamed of what I had done, but I just didn't want to deal with it. So I tried to avoid the teacher. We didn't really interact. And, and for the rest of the school year, we didn't talk about it. 
We didn't deal with it. We didn't, we, there was no real reconciliation. And, and at the time, it didn't really bother me. I mean, I was a, a senior in high school with a month left of school. There really wasn't much that I cared about at, at that stage of, of my life that related to school. But when I, when I graduated and, and moved on, over time, that interaction started to, to eat at me a little bit. And, and it stayed with me for a few years, actually, after I graduated. Every time I would, I would be reminded of something uh, about that teacher or about the school newspaper, I, I, it would remind me of how rude and disrespectful I had been. It, it rem, would remind me about how our, my relationship with that teacher changed, because uh, there was definitely a, a change in our relationship after the fact. And I, and I would try to put it out of my mind and just kind of ignore it, but it, it would always you know, find a way to bubble up. And, and look, like yelling at a teacher for the failings of a school newspaper, not a good choice. And, and definitely first world problems. But I still carried it around with me without processing that fully. And when I've looked back, what I realized is that what I was feeling was grief. Grief over how I had treated this person. Grief over how the way I had acted was in conflict with my upbringing and my values. Grief over how I allowed anger to consume me. Grief over the sin that I had committed against this person who, regardless of my level of frustration, was still a child of God. And grief over how I had harmed that relationship. As we continue in our Provoke Life campaign. We're looking this month at the second beatitude of Jesus, Matthew 5, verse 4. Let's read it together. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We have to understand that mourning and grief aren't just for when someone dies, but grief manifests over mistakes we've made, sins we've committed, harm that we have caused. And unless we address that grief, we will carry it with us and it will continue to impact us and and, and how we live our lives and, and even maybe how we view God. When we allow ourselves to grieve in this way and to make space for others to grieve their sin, their mistakes, their disappointments, their failures, we actually grieve for Christ's sake. Because those who mourn are then comforted by the presence of Jesus. Our grief connects us to God's grace. So our our reading this morning from Jeremiah is, I would call it a master class in mourning. It's a call to grieve, but they're not being called to grieve a death. They're being called to grieve over the state of their relationship with God as a people and the state of their world. Throughout the Old Testament, God would uh, enter into these covenants with God's people where they would worship and serve God alone according to the, the communal standards that were good for everyone that God had set out. And in return, God would provide for and protect them from the the threats that surrounded them, the the other nations that surrounded them that were always sort of trying to threaten what they were about. 
It was the desire of God for the Israelites to be set apart, to live differently than the idolatrous, violent, and oppressive nations that surrounded them. That they would be a beacon of light and hope in the love of God in a world that was incredibly dark. But throughout the Old Testament, Israel repeatedly breaks these covenants flagrantly and repeatedly that they would become no different than the world around them, that they would worship the idols of these other nations, that they would pattern their lives after how these nations would live, that you would look at Israel and you, you would see no difference between them and the world around them. And that's not all that dissimilar from how the world looks at the church and wonders why aren't they living differently Why aren't they living according to the values they espouse? And so when Israel would do this flagrantly and repeatedly, it would leave God no choice but to withdraw the protection and provision. And Israel would find itself vulnerable, under attack, devastated. And they would eventually return to God in repentance. And this is what is happening as God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah. And through the prophet Jeremiah, God instructs the people to grieve. And we have to have a a working definition of what grief really is. Grief is the heaviness or burden that we can feel as a result of the state of our lives and world. And Jeremiah gives the Israelites a master class in mourning. There was a practice in the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament times and in Jesus' time, and, and in some parts of the world, this still goes on, where when it was time to grieve, you would hire professional mourners. And they would show up in, in, in the event of, of, of the grieving, and they would, they would whoop it up. They would, they would cry, they would, they would uh, mourn, they, they would be expressive in their grief, and it would facilitate an environment where grieving could take place, where lament could take place. And so Jeremiah tells the people to hire these mourners to facilitate an expression of the true state of things. That as a result of their collective sin, the land had been devastated. They were having to leave their homes. That that shame had befallen the whole nation and, and death was rampant. And this was all the direct result of their breaking covenant with God. It was a natural consequence of their disobedience. Now, oftentimes when we sin or we make mistakes, we cause pain, the natural inclination is to try to avoid the consequences. Like, like when I went off on that teacher the next day, I just kept my ar- her at arm's length and I tried not to interact with her and we never really talked about it. And, and that's kind of what we want to do when we find ourselves in this place of, of having wounded someone or, or we have to be very intentional about wanting to pursue reconciliation because that's usually not our first desire. We just kind of want it to go away. And there were people in Israel who, by virtue of their privilege as the, the knowledgeable or the powerful or the wealthy, they thought they could avoid the natural consequences of their sins and minimize the need to repent and for God to intervene. 
And God rebukes, rebukes these people specifically to the educated who might say, we know better. God says, be better. To the, the warriors who say, well, we'll do more. We're powerful. God says, don't worry about doing more. Worry about doing right. And to the rich who would say, well, we lack nothing. God would say, well, but I am everything you need. And, and the wealth that you have is not primarily for you. It's for you to be a blessing to others. God dismantles any standing that anyone would have to boast except for this. In verse 24, God through Jeremiah says, No, those who boast should boast in this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord who acts with kindness, justice, and righteousness in the world, and I delight these things, delight in these things, declares the Lord. That, that the knowledge and the power and the wealth are rubbish in comparison to the glory, to the, the kindness, the justice, and the righteousness of God. And that when we know that, when we live according to that, that's where we can boast. The promise is that repentance is not something to be avoided and grief something to be feared. But then when we're honest about our sins and and the way in which they impact our lives and our world, we come before God humbled. And out of that humility, God meets us with kindness, justice, and righteousness. Our grief connects us with God's grace. And there's a lot in our world worth grieving over right now. We just went another 12 rounds of partisan division where we're told that whatever side of the aisle we sit on, that the the future of our country hinges on this election. And guess what? Nothing changed, right? We're right back in the same situation that we were before November 6th, and it's going to happen again two years from now and four years now and eight years from now. And those forces will continue to monetize and capitalize on our anxiety. We should grieve over that and the state of of how we conduct ourselves as a nation. Because God is not pleased with how we act. There are things to grieve over, changes in our world that COVID either caused, accelerated, or revealed. Things that we just would prefer not to have to look at, and yet COVID brought to the forefront. Inequities in, in healthcare around socioeconomic and racial status, the the fragility of most of our government systems. We prefer not to look at that, and yet COVID forced us to look at those in full view. And just just the way people treat each other. Like, we can grieve that. And and the various isms and phobias that, that plague our nation, whether it's racism or sexism or homophobia or nationalism, all those things are worth grieving over especially because if we had the capacity to fix them ourselves, don't you think we would have done it already? Like if human beings could deal with these issues and make them better, I would hope that we would have done that. And so there's grief in our inability to fix our lives and to fix our world. We talked last week about funerals and how it's easier to celebrate a life than it is to grieve a death. And I think it's also easier to celebrate the beauty in our world than it is to grieve over its brokenness. And and listen, there is a ton of beauty 
to celebrate in our world. I'm not trying to be pastor doom and gloom here this morning, all right? There are great things, blessings. There, there's stuff that's just awesome and beautiful and glorious and praiseworthy, and all that is true. And if that's how your life is characterized by the beautiful and amazing and glorious and praiseworthy, then consider yourself privileged, that that's all you experience. Because either you've been insulated from the brokenness, or maybe you've even insulated yourself from a world where this brokenness is rampant. And I think some of the stress and anxiety that has become so, uh, so much a part of our world now is because we can't hide from it anymore. Between social media, the internet, 24-7 news, like everywhere we look, it's there. And we used to be able to not deal with it, but, but now we can't. Now we have to. And the first response is grief. That was Jesus's response. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus is preparing to, to enter into Jerusalem uh, for what we, we would now know as Holy Week, as he prepares uh, to go to the cross. And, and there are people who are celebrating his arrival, and, 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 it's, and it's this amazing, this amazing triumphal entry. But Jesus, in his heart, knew where this all was headed. And so as he prepares to enter Jerusalem, he looks upon the city, both its beauty and its brokenness, and he says in chapter 19, verse 42, if only you knew on this day of all days the things that led to peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. He knew that the cheers of celebration would become jeers of accusation only a few days later, as those who first embraced him would reject him. And yet in kindness, Jesus moved toward the brokenness. He went to the cross and he rose again so that grace might be made available to those people and to these people right here and to those beyond our walls as we grieve our sin and the sin of the world. It's an uncomfortable truth, but one we have to deal with. The only way out is through. Our grief connects us to God's grace. You and I grieve and, and make space for grieving over the state of the world, not, not out of sadness, although we can be sad about what we see. That is okay. But we actually grieve for Christ's sake. We grieve as a way of acknowledging that our intellect and our strength and our wealth are no match for the brokenness that we see in our world and in our lives. We grieve so that Jesus may come near and return to his rightful place over the throne of our lives. And there are ready-made ways for us to grieve. When we grieve our sin, the sin of the world, the mistakes we've made, the hurt we've caused, the ways we've been complicit in all the isms and phobias, God says this in 2 Chronicles 7. He makes it real simple. If my people who belong to me will humbly pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. When we recognize that we have so very little to bring to our salvation, except for, as Martin Luther said, sin and resistance. 
That's what Luther said we bring to our salvation. Sin and resistance. When we recognize that and we come to God humbly, God has this amazing promise. We seek God's face. We turn from our wicked ways and God shows up to heal our lives, to forgive our sin, to heal our land. Part of the reason we begin services with confession and forgiveness is to acknowledge before God and others our sin and the sin of the world. But it's not enough for us just to have confession, you know, whenever we come to church on Sunday. We need this kind of confession every day. Because every day we mess up. Every day we make mistakes. Every day we sin and and cause harm. We can't help it. It's just the reality. We do it. Even the times we try so hard not to, we can't help ourselves. It just happens. We need to make this kind of confession every day. We need the grace of God to forgive us and to change us. Our grief connects us to God's grace. So after a a few years of of carrying around this this burden, uh, this grief of, of how I treated this teacher of mine, I I, had to, I was back at the high school for some reason, and, and it was during the school day or near the end of the school day, and, and so I, I just felt this urge to go, to go find the teacher and to, to talk to them, and, and the, the teacher that I had gone off on and, and had said not kind things to and had hurt for whom I had been carrying this burden around for, for so many years. And so I, I go, and, and I find them, and I apologize, and, you know, of course, they have no idea what I'm talking about, right? Like, they had totally forgotten that it had happened. But they instantly forgave me because of the expression of of grief. And it didn't really matter so much to me that they didn't remember because I had remembered. And in that moment, the burden was lifted as I connected with God's grace in my grief. There's this idea that we should just focus on the positive, that, that we should just not really, you know, think too much about the negative stuff and, 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 and not really dwell in, in that, that it's actually uh, maybe harmful to us to, to, to dwell in these things and, and to hold on to grief for too long. But here's the deal. Only good, only good can come from grieving for Christ's sake. Only good can come to, when we take our, the burdens that we carry over our sin and the sin of the world. And look, it's easy to look beyond ourselves and say, they're doing it wrong. That's who the sinners are. That's where the brokenness is, over there. But Jesus makes it very clear that we better, before we go pulling the plank out of somebody else's eye, we got to deal with the log that's in our own. And so in, with that in mind, I just want to leave you with a couple of questions. What are the sins in your life or the sins of the world that burden you, starting with your own first? And what is the brokenness? What brokenness do you need to grieve for Christ's sake? Know that you are free in Christ to grieve, to grieve those sins, to grieve that brokenness, because your grief connects you to God's grace. So I invite you to rise I'm going to give you about 30 seconds, just kind of reflect on these questions, maybe take them before the Lord, and then I'll close the sermon time out in prayer.
Lord, we so desperately want to believe that we are fundamentally good people. And there's a lot of goodness in us because we carry your image. No matter how far someone may seem from you, they are an image bearer of you. And as a result, there is good in them and there is good in us. And yet too often we we want to celebrate the goodness without dealing with the brokenness, Lord, and that prevents us from fully experiencing the comfort of your presence. So help us, Lord, to be honest with ourselves about who we are and where we are, to be honest about our world and what's going on in it and the ways in which we play a part of that. Lord, that honesty is not intended to provoke guilt or shame or fear. That honesty provokes life. Because as we mourn and grieve, Lord, your presence comes to us to comfort us, to forgive us, and to change us for the better. So we ask for that, Lord. We ask for the courage to grieve so that we might be connected to your grace. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.